obedience. We're going through the Sermon on the Mount. We looked at this um, picture of Jesus saying that he doesn't care nearly as much about just our external behavior as he does our hearts. He's looking for heart change that then results in external behavior. And he's getting on to the Pharisees kind of by saying, you guys are just, all you're doing is outside stuff. You're following the letter of the law. Um, You're following the rules, but it's not coming from a place of a renewed heart. And so it doesn't register with the Lord. And today it's the same theme, but it's a different set of um, topics. He's looking, we could maybe call it true righteousness. What he's looking at last week he was, we were talking about kind of how we, how we relate to other people, how we live out our faith, how do we follow the commands of God. And we said those all have to come from a renewed heart first, then we're looking at externals. Today we're really looking at how we relate to God. So maybe we can call that our righteousness or um, our spirituality, if you like that word, the way that we connect with God. He says the same thing there. It's not enough just to do these things. These things need to come from a new heart. We're going to look through uh, verses 1 through 18, and we're going to look at it in uh, four different sections. The first one is verse 1. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness. That's a technical term. Be, te- be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So Jesus lays out the contrast right there. These acts of righteousness, and he's going to talk about giving praying and fasting, which were the three most sacred duties of a Jew, to give, to pray, and to fast. And he's putting those under this umbrella of acts of righteousness. What we might call those things are spiritual disciplines. That might be a phrase that you've heard. Uh, The different things that we do to connect with God, the different places where we meet God, or the, the behaviors that help us to cultivate our relationship with him. These acts of righteousness or these spiritual disciplines, what he says is, to the, his disciples is you have two choices. You can either do them so people can see you, or you can do them so that God sees you. And you have to make a choice between those two things. And that's a heart issue. And again, what he's doing is he's kind of going at the religious leaders of his day. As we read through, you'll see that he focuses on this idea of hypocrisy. And he, he uh, contrasts what he wants to see from his people uh, with what he sees in the religious leaders, which is a hypocritical attitude towards praying and giving and fasting. And what he says with them is, you think they give the appearance that they're doing these things from some place of righteousness or holiness or devotion to God. The reason they're doing these things is so other people think they're righteous or holy or devoted to God. It has much less to do with their heart than it has to do with their reputation. The idea of being a hypocrite, um, it's wearing a mask, it's being an actor. We're actually not going to talk about that this morning There's plenty of other times where he hits on the idea of of hypocrisy, and we will look at that as we move through Matthew. But I don't think uh, very many of you are probably tempted to look more spiritual than you really are. If that's probably a temptation for anyone, it's probably me, because I would get, there's some benefit to me for people thinking I'm holy or righteous or devoted to God. I'm not sure that any of you get any personal benefit out of people in your office thinking, wow, he's really a good prayer or something like that. I don't know how that translates for you. So this, this tendency or the temptation towards hypocrisy around these things is probably not where you, if it is, then by all means, if the shoe fits, you can wear it. But again, I don't think that's necessarily where many of us uh, would struggle. So we're going to look at these three things, praying, giving, and fasting as spiritual disciplines and say, are, are, are we really meeting God here? And that's what Jesus is talking about. Ultimately, these things are not 
the, the Pharisees, they're not meeting the Lord in these things that they're doing. It's just behavior, and there's no reward from God. He's not in this at all. They're getting what they want, which is praise from people. And I think for us, maybe looking at those three things just and just asking the question, am I meeting God in these disciplines? And again, this idea of spiritual disciplines, these are regular habits or uh, regular practices. They're not random occurrences, regular, deliberate, intentional, conscious behaviors with where we meet God. And we're going to look again specifically at giving, praying, and fasting, but there's others. There's reading the Bible, there's worship, there's silence, there's solitude. Any practice where you meet God, that can be a spiritual, journaling is one, can be a spiritual discipline for you. And again, I want us to look at them one at a time, starting in verse 2. This is giving. So when you give to the needy, don't, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. There you see their motivation. Kind of what's the offering boxes uh, were probably shaped like trumpets. Their money, it wasn't paper, it was metal, and they would throw it in there kind of loudly, so draw attention. Hey, look how much I'm giving away. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, they've received their, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. This idea of giving for me is important for us as a people. I would say, if there's a national idol in the United States of America, it's money. It's, that's the thing that competes with God more than anything else in our country. We have an election coming up in whatever, six weeks, five weeks, I think it is. And what's, what's everybody, it's only about economy. It's the only thing that matters. Who's got the best economic plan? The, the character of the guys running is a footnote, if anything. We want to know who's going to provide the best economic plan, who's going to create the most jobs, who's going to do the best with taxes, who's going to control spending. And those things are all important, but we've made them primary. We so That's the only thing that matters. We're not even talking about the character of the two men who are running. Guaranteed, sometime in the next four years, something is going to come up that nobody has planned for. And when those things happen, that's when you're looking the character of the person sitting in the chair, the character of the person person making the decisions. That is what matters. Because you didn't plan for it, you didn't prepare for it, and that's when you're squeezed, what's in you comes out of you. We can find smart people to figure out how to do economic policy. We need to find good people who are going to lead our country. We're not even asking those questions, except, again, maybe as a secondary issue at best. The things that uh, stress you out, much more personal. The things that stress you out, it's probably an indication of what's important to you. Most of you probably are not stressed out that you didn't eat enough leafy greens last week. That's not a thing for you. You didn't, you didn't stay up worrying about that. But we do stress out about money. It's not that we want to worship it. It's not that we want it to be our God or to be an idol. It's just that it is because it's so prevalent in our society and it provides access to so many other things that are important to us. If I have money, there's not a whole lot of things that I can't get. I can get comfort. I can get happiness. I can get pleasure. I can get security. I can get status. There's a lot of things that are available to me if I have money. And again, that's one of the reasons why... It it competes with God. All of these things that God says he wants to provide for us 
money says, hey, I can do that as well, and I'm much more tangible. So again, with this national, I think, is this national idol for us, and many of us in this room, even though we don't want to, we struggle with it as well. What do you think about when you're not thinking about anything? That's an indication of what's important to you. And for many of us, we drift towards money, towards material things. That's where our hearts, or our, that's where our minds go. And again, the, the things that keep us up at night, those things that weigh us down or that stress us out, again, that's an indication a lot of times of what's important to us. And those are financial, re, financial realities. And so giving becomes a can be a spiritual discipline for us. It can be a place where we meet God and where we say tangibly, money is not my idol. Every time you choose to give money away, I'm not talking about necessarily giving it here. I'm saying anytime you choose to give money away, what you're saying is my security is not in this because if it was, I wouldn't give it away. My identity is not in this because if it was, I wouldn't give it away. I don't trust in this because if I did, I wouldn't give it away. Giving is a concrete way of saying money is not my God. It's also a concrete way of identifying with your Father in heaven. It's a concrete way of saying your priorities, your values, um, your agenda is more important than mine, and so I'm going to invest in the things that you invest in. I think I've, I've mentioned this before, but just to reiterate, I'm not a tithing guy. I think tithing is an Old Testament concept. I don't think that applies to us as New Testament believers. It's part of the Old Covenant. It's part of the law, and I think Jesus took care of all of that. So I'm not when it comes to how much, that's not what we're talking about this morning. What we're talking about this morning is heart. Uh, I think how much you give is between you and the Lord and where you give is between you and the Lord. I'm not going to tell you what you should and shouldn't do. What I do want to say is it's, there's, you can meet God in your giving. I think the question for many of us is, well, I don't, and so why not? Why don't I meet God when I give? And one of the main reasons, I think, is because we give out of fear, not out of faith. We, we look and see, how much do I have left over? Or we say, honestly, how much can I afford? How much can I afford to give? And that's what we write the check based on. It doesn't have anything to do with how we being led by the Lord or what he's saying to us. It's not an expression of faith at all. And because we're giving out of fear, we can't meet God in that. At all. This is what Luke uh, 6.38, I think, says this. Uh, Give and it will be given to you. Press down, shaken together, and running over in your lap. And the key phrase for us is, with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So the image to me there is a teaspoon and a snow shovel. And you get to choose which one of those two you're going to give to God. The promise of Jesus is God always outgives us. Whatever you give, He's going to give back to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. The question is, what's the measure that you're going to give to him? Are you going to give him a teaspoon? Then he will give you back a teaspoon, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. You're going to get it back more. Or are you going to give with a shovel? And then he has that to then measure back to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It's the difference between giving out of fear, that's a teaspoon, and giving out of faith, that's a snow shovel, and that has nothing to do with dollar amounts. Jesus says when he's sitting in the temple the last week of his life, a a widow throws in two small copper coins that are worth less than a penny, and he says she's given more than all these guys throwing in buckets of money, because she gave out of her lap. They gave out of their surplus. 
That's giving out of faith versus giving out of fear. And so it has nothing to do with the dollar amount and everything to do with, is this an expression of faith for me? Am I giving whatever it is that I'm giving, wherever you are choosing to give it, are you doing that from a posture that says, God, I'm doing this as an expression of the fact that I don't trust in money. I'm doing this as an expression of the fact that you provide for me and that this paycheck does not provide for me? Are you doing this as an expression of the fact that, God, I can trust you to take care of me? This is what I do with that money. And it's not take a vacation to Hawaii. This is what I would do with that money if I kept it. And what I'm saying is, your priorities are more important than than whatever that is to me. If you begin to give from that posture, you will meet God in that. Another reason some of us, we don't meet God when we give is it's just... It's automatic. Kind of the picture in my mind, we're just paying bills. This is I was kind of against the electronic bill pay thing for a long time. We still don't do credit cards here. And this is one of the reasons is I think giving can just become rote. I sit down and I pay the water bill and I pay the mortgage and I pay my power bill and I pay my cable bill and then I pay the church bill or wherever, the missionary bill or wherever it is that you're choosing to give. It's just one thing in a stack of bills that you're paying. It's not an expression of worship at all. It just becomes rote. You know, as a church, the electronic bill pay thing is great because you don't forget. But personally, I don't know that it's good for y'all. I don't. I don't know. If you're not meeting God in that, this is me talking. Um, If you're not meeting God in it, I would rather you miss putting a check in the bucket every now and again and actually meet God because you're giving during worship, then you never miss and do it electronically and it not be a means of grace for you at all. I would rather there be less money here if it means that, there's, that you're actually encountering God when you give. And I, I mean that, truly. It can, it's so easy for giving to become rote. Again, we're just paying a bill versus an act of worship. You know, we pass the bucket during worship and hopefully it's not just something that you just try to get past. There's some sense there of God, this is an act of worship for me. For most of us, our, our paycheck, that, that's almost like our, our life in some ways. That's our lifeline. It, it's, a, it's, a represent, it's a tangible representation of what we've done for 40 or 50 or 60 hours last week. And when you choose to give some of that back to the Lord, that's really an expression of giving what you've done back to Him. I've worked for 40 or 50 or 60 hours this week, and here's my way of seeing that as an act of worship, of putting that back in the bucket. So for you, if you're not meeting God, it could easily be because you see paying, giving as just paying a bill. It's become rote for you. And if that's the case, I'd encourage you just to pray. When the bucket comes by, just hold it. And when you put your check in, God, this is an expression. This is an act of worship for me. If you're doing the electronic thing, as you hit the button, God, this is an act of worship for me. This is an expression of thanksgiving to you. This, whatever that is, just a 30-second prayer before you hit enter, before you hit send. And you can begin to meet God in those things. Verse 5. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. What do they do? 
They loved to pray standing in the synagogues and on street corners to be seen by men. So there were public, there were set times of prayer for Jews. And so what Jesus is saying is these Pharisees would just happen to be outside during the public times of prayer, and then they just happened to pray really loud so everybody could see them. And what he's saying is they got their reward. God didn't hear their prayer because everybody else did. That doesn't mean you can't pray out loud. That's taken this way too literally. What it means is if the reason you're praying out loud is so somebody else thinks you're eloquent or so somebody else thinks you're spiritual, then that's all you're going to get is them thinking you're eloquent or them thinking you're spiritual. God, that doesn't register with Him. That's the reward that you will get. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. We're actually going to look at the Lord's Prayer next week on its own. For today, we're again, it's heart. Am I meeting God in prayer? If money is a national idol, I would say time is our most precious resource. That's the thing that we treasure the most. And you can see that by how much money we spend to save time. It's very important. That's the one thing that we can't create more of. We've been able to create more of just about everything else, but we can't figure out how to get more than 24 hours in a day. So we work on just how to maximize that time. For some of us, the greatest sin is wasting time time. It's our most precious resource. And to me, prayer hits at that. Just like giving gets at this idea of money as an idol, prayer gets at this idea of time as our most precious resource. When I choose to be unproductive by just spending time with the Lord, that's in it. that says something. This is the most precious thing I've got. I have a limited amount of this with all of these things to do. And I'm going to make a conscious choice to give you 15 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever it is that I'm giving. It says this thing that is most precious to me, I'm spending on one who is important to me. Prayer also is probably the most concrete way that we have of saying, I'm in a relationship with another person here. I didn't just get a get out of hell free card. God is not floating up in heaven and space somewhere and I'll connect with him when I die. When we pray, it truly is the, the, the means of communication. That to me is the most, again, tangible expression of I recognize I'm in a relationship with another person and prayer becomes the language of that relationship. So the question becomes for many of us, well, how in the world is it so, why in the world is it so boring? Why is it so dry? Why is it so stale? I don't meet God in prayer, the picture to me, you've got this guy up here. That's what a lot of us are like with prayer. We're clenched and our head is down and we're in a room by ourselves, and our prayers are bouncing off the ceiling and we don't, we don't get... God's not listening, we don't think. He's not present to us. We pray because we're supposed to, but there's not this sense of you and a friend spending time together. Many of us are much more like the guy on the left than the two women on the right. When we think of prayer, deep down, if we're honest, we just don't think God is present to us when we pray. If it's really, really important, maybe somehow it makes it through the queue to get to Him. 
or if we pray for a really long time, or if we cry, or something like that. But in general, our regular prayers, they don't make it. And He's not paying attention. If that's you, if you see yourself more like this guy than like those girls, if you were honest and you said, I don't know that God really pays attention to me when I pray. And you may have a reason for that. You may say, I've got this string of unanswered prayers, or whatever. But if that's your honest, heart-level response is, I don't think that God is present or that He listens when I pray. My encouragement to you, and this will feel weird, is try to approach Him like a person and not like a God. Just, it's going to, the same way you would talk to me, try to talk to Him in that same way. The same way you would relate to someone who is your friend, try to relate to God in that way. And that's going to feel really weird for some of you Initially, there's more, God is more than our friend and there are different ways that we need to relate to Him. But if you feel like He's not present, that most likely is because you don't get that peace. You don't get that He wants to spend time with us, peace. You don't get that He likes you, peace. That's, that's not happening in your heart. And so one of the ways to address that heart issue is to begin to treat Him like you would a friend. And again, that's going to feel... Really weird. So the same way you relate with your friends, relate with Him. Ask questions. Listen for responses. Be fine with periods of silence. Don't bring a list. How many of you, when you get together with your friends, pull out your list and say, here are all the things? We don't do that with them because there's a comfort level. Yes, there are things that, yeah, I want to talk to you about these things. But there's some other things that we might want to talk... You might want to talk to me about some things as well. Try to connect with Him as... And again, it it might feel weird. Even start your prayer with this. All right, God, we're going to try this for a while. I'm going to try to... This is not blasphemous. I'm going to try to pull you off this throne that I have you on. And I'm going to try to relate to you like a friend or like a parent, if that's easier for you. I'm going to do that and see what that begins to do to your prayer life. And again, there's multiple ways that we need to relate to God. This is just one of them, but if you don't feel like He's present, it's most likely because you don't think He wants to be present. It's not because you don't think He's capable, it's because you don't think He wants to. And so you begin to relate to Him like He does. Other thing I think with prayer, a reason we don't meet God is we see it as a task. It's this one of these one of many things that we're trying to do. Actually, a lot of us multitask as we pray. We pray while we drive. We pray while we take a shower. We pray, and those, that's fine to do those things. But just like in every other relationship where, 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 that you're in, it's fine to multitask. But can you tell when you're talking on the phone and somebody's sending an email? That's kind of the same thing. Like it's fine because we're friends. And that, but there's sometimes where I just want you to pay attention to me. Like there's sometimes where I don't want you doing other things. Those of you who are married, men, you're trying to look around to see the score. They don't like that so much. (laughs) Turn it off. Focused time. And the same thing is true with the Lord. It's fine to pray while you drive. And it's fine to pray while you're in the shower. All of those things are fine because you're in a relationship with Him. But just like every other important relationship you have, there's got to be times where you're focused on Him. And not in, if, you're, if you never do that, then most likely you don't meet God in prayer because you're always distracted. 
Some of you are distracted because when you pray, you have all these things going on in your mind. And I would say, then just let those be the things you pray about. Because obviously those are the things that are on your mind. So rather than spending 15 minutes trying to get that stuff out of your mind, just make that the fodder for prayer. It's fine. He doesn't have, God doesn't have... It, it's fine. I think some of us think, well, there are these important things that I have to pray for today, and if I don't, the world's going to fall apart. If I don't pray for my kids today, it, it's okay. I can trust Him. He's superintending all of these things. Take the pressure off when you're spending time with Him. See, it's much more like hanging out with your dad, if that's a good image for you. Or hanging out... See, that way. That's what prayer... It's just... It's being with Him. It's a relational thing. It's not an assignment. It's not a task. He's not saying, you didn't say the right words today. You didn't hit everything on your list, so here comes a lightning bolt for this person who you forgot to pray for. That's not how He works. But that's how some of us see it. If that's you, again, I would encourage you, rather than seeing prayer as assignment, see it as relationship, and part of that is be flexible. Yes, there are times where you need to be Focus, and I would say do that. And in those focused times, be flexible. You don't have to come with a strong agenda. Just be quiet in His presence sometimes. One of the things I've started doing since June is I walk to work, and that's one of the primary ways that I pray is when I walk. Misty, my wife, has driven by several times and says, people are going to think you're crazy. I actually pray out loud when I'm walking. And sometimes I've been putting a Bluetooth on so people can think I'm doing that sometimes. But that, it's been great for, that might not work for you. It's been great for me. I have, I make myself walk slow enough that I don't sweat. I'm not, it's not for exercise. I'm not trying to save the environment. What I'm trying to do is connect with God and that's a place where I've done it. And so, the same thing for, fine. What works for you? Where are the ways? What are the, where are the places? What are the times? What are the ways that you can give Him focused time? And then begin to do those things on a regular basis. That is the discipline part of the spiritual disciplines. Usually there's an initial, yay, and then there's, you kind of hit this wall. And we hit the wall and we think, well, I'm just going to quit and go find something else to do. And if you push through the wall, then usually you find out it's a pretty good rhythm. So if prayer for you is an assignment, my encouragement for you is to be flexible with that. Try to find other ways of connecting with the Lord. Find other ways of praying Last, when you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do. They disfigure their faces to show men they're fasting. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So if money is kind of this idol for us and time is our most precious resource, Fasting, to me, that hits food, and that's a national obsession for us. Did you know last year, 2011, the average American ate 1,996 pounds of food? Like, we literally ate a ton last year. That's a lot of food. $40 billion we spend on dieting and diet-related products. I've seen ads for diet pet food. I don't, unless you're dog has learned how to open the refrigerator. I don't get I don't get how animals get fat. They eat whatever the food is a thing for us. Think of how much time you spend. For some of us it's 
Like food is our reward. For some of us, food is our comfort. For some of us, food is the bane of our existence. And we spend all of our time trying to figure out how many calories we have or haven't eaten. How much of our life is shaped, bent around eating and food? My little disclaimer on that. God doesn't care what you eat. Not one lick. You can eat. You can be a vegan. You can be a vegetarian. You can be a carnivore. He does not care. You can eat processed food. You can eat partially hydrogenated food. All of that stuff. None of it makes you unclean. According to Jesus, nothing that you put into your mouth makes you unclean. You eat whatever you want to eat. Just don't make it an issue of righteousness before the Lord because it's not because He doesn't care at all. So any guilt you feel about that, that's not from Him. And any judgment you're placing on other people, that's 100% not from Him. So when it comes to food, one of the things for us is we just need to kind of get over ourselves when it comes to all of that. He doesn't care at all. And no disrespect. There's not a biblical diet. There's not. Jesus said everything is clean, so the biblical diet is eat what you want. Period. Within that, you're free. You're totally free. If you want to live on twigs and bark, then do that. If you want to eat raw meat, then you do that as well. If you eat a box of Oreos every day, you're going to pay for that. But it's up to you. I don't think those are issues of righteousness before the Lord, unless you're eating out of sin. If you're eating because you feel depressed, then it doesn't matter if you're eating good food or bad food. That's a sin. You're numbing pain in your life by eating food, which is the same thing as numbing pain in your life by looking at pornography or by drinking a six-pack of beer. All of that is a sin. Not because of outside of the pornography, not because of what you're actually consuming, but because of why you're consuming it. So, again, the, the what's are not nearly as important as the why. If you want to get in shape and get healthy, then by all means do that, but don't make that an issue of righteousness before the Lord in terms of what you actually are eating because He doesn't care. He wants you to be healthy because He loves you and healthy is better than unhealthy. That's the goal for Him because He cares it. Just like as parents, you want your children to be healthy. But He doesn't want to micromanage our diets and He doesn't want us getting obsessed with what we do and do not eat. So anyway, back to fasting. Fasting, again, for us, it hits at this national obsession with food. Every time I choose to fast, what I'm saying is, my heart is more important than my stomach. My, what happens inside of me, spiritually, is more important than how I feel physically. That's what fasting is. It's an expression of, kind of, my, the spiritual part of me is more important than the physical part of me. They're connected, for sure, But if one's going to win, I'm going to choose the spirit over my body. Paul talks about that, beating his body so that it's in service to his mission before the Lord. And so that's fasting is an expression of that. Um, We, as a church, we do a corporate fast every year during Lent. And many of you participate. I don't know if you fast outside of that or not. That's honestly, it's, it's completely up to you whether you do or do not. I think one of the reasons we don't meet God in fasting is because many of us just don't fast, and so you can't meet God if you're not doing that. But even when we do, I think a lot of us, we don't truly meet the Lord, and it's because we've disconnected um, the spirit from the, the physical. We have kind of this physical body, and we have this 
spiritual body, and we don't see the connections between the two. I'm trying to remember the book. It might be the screw tape letter. C.S. Lewis is talking. And he even talks about the posture that we take when we pray and how physically the way we stand or sit or lay down, how that affects our hearts in prayer. And it kind of makes sense, even with something like that. It's one of the reasons we stand up when we worship. It kind of helps. It's not just out of any type of reverence for the Lord. It's also because it kind of helps keep us awake and engaged and connected to what's going on. That's physical effects, spiritual, and we miss that connection. And so a lot of times when we're fasting, it basically just becomes either spiritual dieting for us, and uh, we see it as an opportunity to lose some weight, or it becomes just an exercise in willpower. I'm going to not do this, and I'm going to grit my teeth and not do this. But it has very little to do with how our hearts are working. This is Isaiah 58. Here we go. Is not this the kind of fast I have chosen? Now listen what he talks about this kind of fast. To loose the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? One of the things for us when we fast is we focus on what we're not doing. We're not eating this stuff, but we never combine that with any action. And what God is talking about here in Isaiah is it's not just about not eating food. It's also about combining that with some positive action. And so for the, if you fast, I would say do this. And if you don't fast, I would encourage you first to fast and then to do this as part of that. Is Don't just focus on what you're giving up, on what you're not eating or what you're not doing, combine that with some, I'm going to call it um, impulse towards justice, for lack of a better word. It doesn't mean you have to go carry a sign anywhere, but there's something positive as well. I'm not just not eating food. I'm also contributing in this way to what God is doing. And both of I'm holding both of those things kind of together. And that can help combine the physical and the spiritual and help make that connection so that fasting becomes a place where we meet the Lord. For some of us, we meet Him because it's so difficult to not eat whatever it is that we gave up. But we kind of get over that. We kind of get used to that after a couple of days. And then I think it's important for us to say, all right, I'm not just not eating chocolate for the duration of Lent. I'm also going to, I'm going to serve in this place, or I'm going to give myself to this thing, or I'm going to spend time in this area as part of that. And I think you'll begin to see how you meet God. There's uh, John Wesley, um, founder of the Methodist Church. He had his guys fast. I think it was on Wednesday and Friday, maybe, two days a week, from breakfast. So they didn't eat breakfast, they didn't eat lunch, and they ate dinner. I did that for probably, I don't know, I probably did that for 18 months. Twice a week, I didn't eat breakfast, I didn't eat lunch, but I ate dinner. And it I, I don't know why I quit, because it was one of the best things I ever did. I just got lazy probably more than anything else. But it was have, doing something. One, it's not that hard, because I could look forward to dinner every night. So I had that going for me. But having that regular rhythm of fasting, there wasn't all this pressure to try to get something out of it during this one day or during this short stretch of time. And It could be for you if you've never fasted before. Maybe think about something like that 
Don't say, I'm going to not eat for a day or I'm not going to eat for a week. Say, I'm not going to eat breakfast two days a week for the next month and see what happens. Or I'm, going to, I'm not going to eat lunch one day a week for the next six weeks. Give yourself a span there. And as you give up that food, look to say, what can I put in place of that? What is, a, what is an action-oriented thing that I can do where I'm looking to meet God in that? Uh, I want to close with these last two pictures. When I think about spiritual disciplines, I think there's kind of two different things that we can fall into. One, this dry, cracked riverbed. And that's where many of us live versus this picture of a healthy, flowing river. We have this, we're doing, we're praying, we're reading the Bible, we're coming to church, we're giving, whatever. We're doing these things, but there's no life in them. At all. I've dug this path, but there's, no, there's nothing there. There's no water there at all. And if I were to ask you this morning, honestly, which of these two would you say best reflects your heart? Many of you would say it's the one on the left. That's honestly how I feel. And we want to pray for you this morning about that. If you feel like you're a dry riverbed, we want to pray. Uh, you can't conjure up the river. That's the Holy Spirit. Jesus says that um, the Spirit within us will be like uh, streams of living water. and So that's His responsibility to come and to refresh us. We want to create a place for Him. That's what these spiritual disciplines are. Here are the places where I'm saying I'm going to meet with you, God. I'm going to meet with you in prayer, and this is what that looks like. I'm going to meet with you when I read the Bible and what that looks like, and meet with you when I give, and here's what that looks like. But ultimately, it's up to Him to come and fill those places. And a lot of times he's not because we're not doing those things. Our our hearts are not engaged in those processes. And so we just want to take some time and pray this morning, if that's you, if you feel like a dry, cracked riverbed. I know um, some of you, it's difficult for you to come forward. You've got to crawl all over people, or you come up here and you think people are going to think you're a terrible person because you want prayer. We're going to take communion, and so you're already going to be coming up here. So just rather than turning and going back to your seat, stop and let us pray. And and, and just tell us. You don't have to say anything other than, I just feel dry. And what we're going to pray is that God would renew you this morning. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit already lives within you. But Paul says we need to pray to continually be filled. And that's all we're going to pray, is that God would fill you this morning again with His Spirit. Communion is one of those things that can easily become a rote ritual. It's something that we just do. And we don't meet God in communion. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, and I'm going to ask him that we would. I'm going to read a psalm, and then um, we're going to invite you to come forward for communion and to stay for ministry. Uh, if you're new, the way we take communion here, we'll come forward in rows. You'll break off a piece of bread and dip it in the juice. There'll be gluten-free communion over here on this uh, table if you need that. And we'll have ministry teams up here, and we would love to pray with you if, if you're coming through and there's no nobody open, just have a seat and wait. And we would love the chance to pray with you. We've got plenty of time this morning um, to pray. So uh, close your eyes, please. If you're helping with communion, if you go ahead and come forward. I'm going to read this is Psalm 32. Blessed is the man... Blessed is the woman whose transgressions are forgiven, 
whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man or woman whose sin the Lord does not count against him or her, in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach this person. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Don't be like a horse or a mule which which have no understanding and must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all you are upright in heart. Everyone here, you're one of two. You're either, when I've kept silent, my bones have wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, God's hand has been heavy upon you. You, Sin that you haven't confessed. The encouragement here, confess your transgressions to the Lord and He will forgive you of your guilt. Or, you're someone who stands forgiven. And what He says to you, to those of you who are forgiven, pray while God may be found. God is your hiding place. God will protect you. God will surround you. Rejoice in Him and be glad. Sing because He's cleansed your heart. So Lord, my prayer for everyone in this room as we come forward to take communion, if there's stuff on us, I'm thinking of Jesus washing Peter's feet. God, for those of us who've been following you, we're clean, but we just pick up dirt and grime along the way. God, I pray that we would confess those things to you. Even now, if something comes to your mind, just confess that in your heart before the Lord. God, we thank you that when we confess, you forgive And so we can come forward this morning and break off bread and dip it in juice. And it can be more than just a ritual. God, we can meet you in this. We can receive forgiveness and that we can rejoice as ones who have been forgiven. And God, that's my prayer. I pray for any who do feel condemned. God, that as they come forward, there be a, that weight would be lifted off of them. As they take communion, God, they would know in their hearts, forgiven, restored, pure, holy, spotless. That would ring true in their heart. And God, we pray for all who would say, I'm a dry riverbed. Lord, I pray that you would refresh them this morning by your spirit. That you would pour out your spirit abundantly upon the men and women in this room. Every dry and cracked place, God, I pray that the water of your life would flow into and over. In the name of Jesus, amen. You guys can stand and come forward as you will. We'll have ministry teams up in the corners as well, and Bo will dismiss us when we're done. Thank you.
upon the earth Speaks righteousness for me And stands in my defense Jesus, it's your blood
it's a ditch to be legalistic with it. And I pray that would not be where we go, God. But it would be all out of a desire to draw closer to you. That you'd stir in our hearts an affection for you, the passion for you and the things of you, God. Then you'd draw us in closer and you'd give us uh, hearts that desire that. And that these are just tools to use to achieve that. I pray we'd walk hand in hand with you, step by step with you looking for you to lead us and guide us. God, you are the source of all good things. Just send us out this morning with your blessing and your favor. In Jesus' name, amen. You are free to
Bless your name, Lord. Bless your holy name. Lord, we give you all the glory tonight. We thank you for your presence with us. Lord, we thank you that your name has been glorified and lifted up in this place. Lord, we pray for this project, Lord. We just uh, take time to pray for it. Father, uh, 
Lord, if 145 nations declare that uh, instead of saying, can no good thing come out of Nazareth, Lord, but declare that there is revival and there is restoration in this part of the world, Lord, where your name has been sullied, Lord, where your name has been brought low, Lord, that your name is lifted up in this place and throughout this land. And we bless you for that, Lord. Bless your holy name. Amen. Behold, he comes right